Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A, where you all ask the questions and we answer. I'm here with my fearless co-host, Kristen, physical therapist, senior lit teacher extraordinaire. Hi, Kristen. Hey, Laura. Glad to be here. Yeah. So you have a question. Why don't you get us started? And then I have some. All right. Awesome. Okay. So Sarah Apple sent me a DM on Instagram and she said, Lately, when I get up into a handstand and nearly fall out, reaching my right arm forwards, I find myself having better balance in this awkward right arm forward diagonal position and can hold it there longer. I know this is not correct or probably good for the body. Wondering what you and Laura think might be causing and how to correct. By the way, it's kind of cool. She's a fellow PT. I love um, it. Yeah. And so she's been sending me some videos of, you know, working on her handstands and there's some scapular history of some scapular issues, but I can definitely kind of answer to that. I mean, I, I have been there. I remember back when we first started or when I first started working on my handstands and that I would do that same thing. I would start to lose my balance and step out one hand. And I think what personally, what I think is what's happening there is she just sort of re, you know, she's, resets the pelvis, keeps it from going over. So the pelvis comes back over her shoulders. That asymmetry of the hands, it would be interesting to watch what it looks like, you know, what she looks like. Does she turn with the hands or is it almost similar to, for example, I find funky forearm balance easier than forearm balance because of that ability to shift into one side a bit more. And it doesn't really matter for me if it's my strong side or my weaker side. I even used to play around when the girls were doing private tumbling lessons and I would play around in the gym that we would go to doing one-arm handstands, one arm, you know, one hand up on a step and just playing around. I'm kind of wondering if that's what's happening with her. If number one, it helps her because she doesn't go over it stops the forward momentum of her pelvis. And then 
it allows her kind of to settle the weight into one side. What do you think? I mean, it's an interesting, I don't think she's alone in this. I, I, I've seen Tim do this where he'll step one hand forward and be able to hold it. It's not an ideal. It's not how we want to do a handstand, but I don't think it's unusual. You know, my actual gut instinct was she was just opening up her base of support, you know, instead of having a horizontal line. So base of support is really whatever's on the ground and then that space between it. So if you have two hands, it's a pretty small base of support. And that's why it's so challenging because that means that everything really has to be balanced above it or you'll lose your balance. And then people find using like staggering the legs is a way of kind of balancing in that base of support, just like you would a seesaw. You know, you have two sides of the seesaw, but you have the center that's on the ground. That's the base of support. And then the balancing of those two sides of the seesaw can balance in that base of support. So I think when she moves her hands forward, if you were to draw around from one hand to the other, her base of support is bigger. And that feels more stable. And she can then balance her pelvis from the ground as opposed to like from holding her abdominals strong or holding her glutes or using her legs. So it's a technique. I don't think it's a good one to stick with because then you'll get very, again, if the point is to be in a vertical handstand or some version of it, you have to practice within that base of support. So what I would say to her is, work on moving something else instead of your hand. Can you move your leg? Like if, if you feel the instinct to move your hand, can you move that one leg forward and one leg back in a stagger and get your brain to start recognizing how to stack the pelvis over the shoulder and use these other levers to help out as opposed to absolutely changing and opening up her base of support. That's from a kind of physics principle. I think that's what's probably happening. That's actually a really good point, because if you think about when we're working with people in balance, we will widen the stance. It is easier to stand with the feet staggered than it is for the elderly, mm -hmm. than it is to stand with the feet directly under the hips. So that's probably exactly what's happening. And that's also why I think funky forearm balance is easier for me. I have a bigger base of support yep. than just the forearm balance. I'm spreading out that. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, it could be yeah. that her dominant hand is the one that's going forward and she's able to put, you know, that she's able to stabilize more on it. I would suggest to anyone who has that inclination, it's a smart one. It's your brain, your body's like trying to calibrate balance and that's just a strategy, but it won't help you in your finding verticality with your hands in their kind of proper handstand alignment. So figure out a different way. That's why I think stag legs are so great because that again helps the, the mapping of that pelvis over the shoulder girdle on top of that base of support. Well, the big thing I do too is um, using my fingers as my brake pads. So, you know, she needs to, you know, figure out another brake pad, which, you know, the fingertips can be one, like you said, spreading the legs. I'll do that. I'll drop a leg forward. Well, forward meaning like back mm -hmm. <laughs> when you're upside down, but to slow that forward momentum as another strategy. Yeah. Yeah. It's all good. That's a great question though. I'm sure other people have it. You know, a lot of people have different, some people can't pick up a hand, like if they start falling. So you want your hands well, like connected to the floor, 
but you don't, you like there's adaptability, like you're saying with your fingers, so that you can make those fine adjustments. But if you start to fall, you need to be able to pick up one hand and not just flip all the way over into a wheel. That is not a position that we recommend as your fallout. <laughs> no. This is from Lisa Miller, who we know. She is a client who is an anesthetist nurse, anesthesia nurse, and her hands are literally cupped. She can't get them flat. She said, we work to get that second metacarpal down, but her whole hand stays cupped. Obviously a product of her work hazard. Any suggestions? Well, I wonder, you know, first of all, it sounds like it's bilateral. <sighs> this is a funny, I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, this term. <laughs> it's happening. It's, it, it runs in my family. They call it Viking's blood, you know, where you get the flexor. You get like a, um, it usually happens just in one finger but where you get a shortening and they say, oh, you Vikings blood, which is why you get it. I don't know if that really has anything to do with it. You know, what is, what's the reason behind that? You know, I mean, does she have some actual true structural shortening that we can see in the hands? You know, uh, I think what Lisa's doing is great. She's working with it. You know, she's modifying. There's a lot we can do with that tenting of the fingertips. But I would just be curious as to the whys. I mean, there are, believe it or not, really successful releases that can be done for the Viking hand that, that people get. I don't know if that's something, and they usually do have it bilaterally because it's something, it it's, starts in the dominant hand usually and then goes to the other hand. But that's just an interesting little story on my side. What do you think? You know, I think if it is indeed, indeed like a work-induced thing that with time, it can be undone. And it there might have been, like like you were mentioning, contractures developed. That's where really the soft tissue becomes more hardened because it's, it's, it's stayed in that position so much. I imagine with time and weight-bearing and doing prep, it will improve because it, it might just be that she... Because she's probably doing other things, not just being a nurse... Um, that do require some of the spreading of the webbing of the fingers. But we're not really required a lot to go into wrist extension during the day and regular activity. So that just for anyone, that can take some time. So I would say do a lot of the, the wrist type stretching we do in our class during the day. She should really work on the opening of the webbing, spreading her fingers out as much as possible uh, in between patients getting, doing those wrist stretches at work as well, counteracting some of that positioning. I imagine that alone over time should help. And, you know, if, if there have been some kind of thickening of the fascia, like you said, there are some, there's some surgical procedures to be done, but I imagine this is just, she hasn't spent time on her hands, you know, quite frankly. And that's, the spending time on the hand is going to get that wrist in the extension and get that opening. And, and it might be a while before she can bear weight into that index finger, but give it time. All right. So we've got some other questions here. Okay. So yoga with Ganda. I have pain around the ilium. What can make it worse or better? Well, the ilium for everybody who is not sure what we're talking about, that is one of the bones of the pelvis. You have two ilia and they're like the big, I call them like, they've been known as like Mickey Mouse ears or elephant ears of the pelvis. And if you have 
pain around the ilium, I mean, my my first instinct, of course, would be to say, well, where? Is it in the back? Is it on the side? Because the ilium doesn't just, it carves around. But I, my gut would tell me that it's probably around the back. <laughs> and that is almost always a result of some tip of the pelvis that is compressing the tissue there that attaches to the ilium. In particular, the quadratus lumborum, which attaches from the ilium to the lower ribs. And so what you can do about it is work on your posture, work on your body mechanics so that you're not reinforcing it. So posture is where you start, essentially, where you start your movement. It's obviously how you stand, but it's also giving a a glimpse into how you will most likely move because it is presetting the muscles to fire in a certain way. So if your muscle there is shortened, for instance, it's pre-established to fire. It makes it harder for other muscles to fire instead of that, since it's already in this kind of shortened pre-firing state. And it makes it harder for you to engage your deep abdominals, which both are in the anterior portion of the body and in the posterior wall of the body. So the QL is actually considered a posterior abdominal wall muscle as opposed to just a back muscle. But because it's chronically shortened, it is not necessarily you know, strong. It's just positionally shortened. And so you might actually not be able to get into some of the, like the transverse abdominals, getting into the iliopsoas, because that also tends to be shortened on the front side with an anterior pelvic tilt. So I would, I would say, A, if it's always bothering you, you should see somebody to take a look at you and just reaffirm that it is biomechanical postural alignment thing. That would be my gut. Yeah, and I think another common place to have ileal type pain would be laterally, you know, if and that would be more gluteus medius. Real common people have gluteal medial, gluteus medius tendonitis. They might have bursitis and they feel that pain right along the lateral crest of the pelvis. And so there's some great, yes, we always bring it back to the posture. First thing I'm going to look at is how is your posture? Second thing I'm going to look at is how are you on one leg? You know, how is your strength? How is your stability through your pelvis? Is the Q, excuse me, not the QL, is the glute med overworking? Is it underworking? Uh, You can palpate around there. You can tell when that thing is uh, in spasm, it feels like a road bump. It's literally like a boom, boom, boom. And, you know, so I used to, work on a lot of people, getting them in sideline, and I would get my elbow in there, and I joked, I called it my elbow of death, because it feels like it's killing me. And all right, here comes the elbow of death. Well, you can use a lacrosse ball, a tennis ball, it's your own elbow of death. Bring it right up against a wall. You can lie on those. That, to me, is a lot of weight. So up against a wall, get in there, do a little soft tissue work. Do a little soft tissue work around the QL, where Laurel is talking about Try to free up some of the soft tissue. Look at your groin. Are, you know, is your adductor really tight? You know, so what might be putting some extra strain laterally? And then look at your pelvis. If you're a yogi, which it sounds like you are, because I believe yoga was in your, in your name, you know, watch what your pelvis is doing when, when you're transitioning. So going from high crescent lunge to airplane, airplane to half moon, are you able to keep the pelvis level? You might be really tight in that lateral hip. So you start leveling out your pelvis, people, and you're going to treat yourself. You're going to create some self-joint mobilizations, mobility, that then free up that soft tissue and allow the pelvis to go to neutral where it wants to be. And then you get stronger and really more functional and more efficient as as a human machine. 
And uh, I would not be surprised if that helps out a lot as well. Yeah, that's great. That covers it all. I mean, really, again, it's it's the re- like Kristen was saying, it's the relationship of all of these muscle attachments to the pelvis. So it could be like the adductors, those inner thighs, they attach to the pubic bone, the pubis on either side. And if they're really tight, they could be pulling the pubis down, which would pull the, up the ilium. So look at it all. And I think that if if this is something that, again, is bothering you, have an expert look at you. Like maybe have eyes on you just one time and it can really help you kind of reestablish that position of the pelvis so that you're not chronically pulling on the whatever tissue is bothering you around the ilium. All right. Jen Bailey asks, I have bone spurs in my low back. Is the movement the same as for bulging disc and arthritis? Um, so I'll, I'll kind of go with that one. Yeah. I'm guessing typically when we're talking about bone spurs, people are talking about some sort of facet joint arthropathy is what. So you you have these facet joints, which is on the lateral side of the spine, where, where the upper vertebra meets the lower vertebra, and you get little spurs. They're almost like little beards that start to build up around those connections. And the nerve comes right out beside that. So you have a, oh my God, Laura. Nerve entrapment. Yes, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Yes, yes. So you, get, you have a foramen, a little small oh. hole that this nerve it comes through. Yeah, and then that you get entrapment of the nerve. So it can present similar to a disc. I think traditionally disc pain is aggravated with forward flexion or lateral flexion. So you're, you're moving the disc out towards the back, towards the nerve versus with a bony spur, we see more pain with closing down or extension or lateral extension. So that would be the difference that we see traditionally. But again, not everybody's the same. So if you've been diagnosed with that, again, don't live in that diagnosis because we see people with horrible x-rays that you look at the x-ray and say, how are you walking? How are you functioning without pain? And they'll be like, nope, I'm totally fine. I'm here for something else. So I wouldn't, it's not uncommon to have those bony spurs. That's just our body's, it's the aging. It's, it's our body's response to pressure, abnormal movement patterns, et cetera. But don't be hung up on that so much. But the, I think the question was, is that similar? It is, I think, more similar to an arthritic presentation than it is to a disc presentation. But you can have both. So, and both can mimic each other. How about you, Laura? I would just echo that with any of those, your goal is to better align your spine and to imagine that you're trying to create the necessary space between the vertebral bodies that, you know, where where they're stacked on top of one another. Because again, if you've gotten to the place where you have bone spurs or some kind of bulging disc or whatever you want to call it, it's coming, there's some segment of the spine that is moving in a non-uniform way, right? And it's and it's shifted forward. Most likely it's shifted forward um, on the one below it. And that creates a shearing force, which we our spine doesn't like very much. <laughs> so we really want to try and create space that doesn't, you know, you can think of like, how would I actually traction myself without getting on a traction machine? So it's like, I always say, imagine everything around your spine. And you really can't imagine it. Like you just go into your brain and think, here's the axis of my spine. It presents as a straight line because we have flesh and stuff on top of it, but there are natural curves. But 
thinking of it as a straight spine in this way helps. And just how do you hug it to give it lift, you know? And then every move you do has to include that as part of it. So if you're folding forward or you're going back or you're side bending, you need to get that, I call it the toothpaste move. Like, you know, the annoying people, some in my family who squeeze the toothpaste in the middle and it's just not as effective, right? So you go from the bottom. So go way down into the bowl of the pelvis and squeeze and lift up. And it's a squeeze of a hug. It's really to give you support because whenever you have had some mechanical wear and tear and then subsequent changes, you need you need that support even more when you go into movement. So yeah, I would echo what Kristen said. Don't get hung up in the identifying with it in because you can still be very happy and healthy in your life. You just have to pay more attention, which I think is good for all of us. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So this question, this is from Mackenzie Wren, I think is her last name. Sorry, I can't. Yeah, Mackenzie Wren. She writes, hey, I've been following you for a while now. I absolutely love your techniques for correcting my body and getting really deep movement. I have a question for your Q&A. Are there any movements or stretches that can be done to keep the knees mobile? It seems as people age, they are more prone to issues with their knees. And I'm curious if there are things that can be done to prevent tears, inflammation, et cetera. Well, I'll just start off. That's a great question. Yeah, it is. I'll start off because my first instinct when somebody says how to keep the knees mobile is not about the knees. (laughs) All right, your knees should be mobile for your life because they're really just taking directions and executing the directions. So if they are not mobile or they are feeling stiffer, then I would I would obviously take note of them, but I would really look at what's happening um, up the chain, down the chain, in the hips and the ankles. Because if the hips and ankles aren't moving well, the knees will substitute, but they might get a lot of you know uh, wear and tear on them in that substitution. And then that would cause some of this like these tears, inflammation that you're talking about that would then affect the knees mobility. It isn't that the knees would lose mobility, say like we lose mobility in our low back, it feels really stiff or our hamstrings feel tight. The knees, the joints of the knees are the biggest synovial joints in the body. They they should be moving well. If they're not, you got to look at what's happening in the hip and ankle. So in your to answer your question is keep connecting to your core and mobilize your hips and ankles well. And I'll end with that because I'm sure you'll have some more to add on to it. Yeah, no, that's such a, I was the whole time I was nodding my head. Yep, yeah. yep. Because it's so, we, I, I've said it before, knees, we call them dumb joints. All they want to do is bend and straighten. And so when something that like she's talking about tears or irritation, it's because there's a torque that's occurring there. And the torque is usually coming from above or below. So make sure, yes, make sure your hips are mobile, make sure your ankles are mobile, and then make sure your knees are tracking well. So, you know, paying special attention to how are you, let's say if you're a yogi, how are you doing your goddess? How are you doing your warrior two? How are you doing your half moon? Are you adapting those to your body to keep the knee tracking right over the foot? If that knee is tracking in or out, usually in, it's torquing. That tibia spins in relation to the ankle and the femur spins in relation to the hip. And what happens? Then the knee gets unhappy. 
And so usually when we see lack of mobility, to Lara's point, it's because there's an inflammatory process. Something's got aggravated. So these synovial joints, these the biggest ones in our body, start producing synovial fluid in response to that and not in a good way. And so we get this swelling and which feels stiff. It feels, people will talk about, it feels like a balloon or it's just, it's a tightening around the joint. And that is your body telling you, all right, the synovium is overproducing for a reason. And it is usually, I would say 95% of the time to your point, look above, look below, and then look at the brain map. You know, how are you tracking? How are you moving? And are you able to, through the strength of the hip and ankle, keep that knee tracking well and, and make adjustments? You know, yoga, traditional yoga positions are not for everybody. So if you're killing yourself to get a perfectly perpendicular warrior too, you might be doing that at the expense of your knee. Or your client might be doing it at the expense of his or her knee. Or if you're in a half moon and you're trying to keep that foot perpendicular to the short side of the mat, that might not be what's best for your hips. You need to angle that foot a little bit so you're not causing that abnormal strain at the knee. So yeah, knees really, they want to move. They want to hinge well through a full range of motion. And when we start feeling that stiffness, it's the body telling us that it's moving abnormally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So go knees. They're there to move for sure. <laughs> well, thank you as always for everybody asking the questions. Thank you for being on here with me, beautiful KB. And make sure that you share this with your friends. We love it when you we when we hear your feedback. You can write us on Instagram, kbwilliams99 or lara.hyman and just direct message us questions like you have been doing. And then go and subscribe, rate and review. We'd really appreciate that. And if you want a free class, take a screenshot of your review and email that to support at lityoga.com. And we will send you a free link to a lit class that is not on the lit daily. So do that. All right. As always, we're pulling for you. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.